All right, perfect. We are officially recording. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Internet's number one podcast, Into the Mind, where we talk about success of entrepreneurs. We talk about their characteristics, the skills, the strategies and systems and lessons that they've learned, not just from their wins, but also from their losses, so that together we can all get better. We can learn from their experiences, be inspired by their victories and replicate their formulas for success. I'm your host, Marlon Johnson, former parkour athlete turned entrepreneur and real estate investor, and I'm on a mission to help 7.8 billion people. Yes, I said 7.8 billion people achieve success personally, professionally, and financially by empowering their minds and connecting them to the right people. So that's why I bring the sort of guests that I bring onto the show. These are people that personally inspire me that I'm able to learn from, I'm able to connect with and collaborate with. And today I'm excited to be sitting down with the one and only Jeff Smith. So Jeff and I actually come from the same real estate mentorship program. We actually met each other inside of the Sub 2 Mentorship Program, where I found out that Jeff is a total badass. And what he's been doing, besides getting deals done himself, he's been helping new entrepreneurs, new real estate investors lock up their first deal. He's been helping them with sales training, with coaching. I mean, this dude is a stud on the phone. It's insane. I was actually listening to him give advice to somebody else once on a seller conversation they were having. And I was taking notes like, holy crap, Jeff, you are freaking Good. So Jeff came over to the house in Arizona. We got to hang out for a couple hours. It was such a good time. He started to tell me a little bit about his travels and his journey. And I immediately said, I got to have you come on the podcast. Let's dive in deep. And today we're going to be talking about Jeff's history, about how he got into real estate, what he was doing before that, what he's doing currently, and this magical thing he calls power hour, where he's just been taking people from, I don't know what a mortgage is to, hey, I just got a $20,000 assignment. So Jeff, welcome onto the show, bro. Dude, I'm so excited to be hanging out with you, the legendary Marlon, the one and only, as it were. So thank you for having me. I've been really looking forward to it. Dude, I'm excited to be here. So I love when I get to sit down and interview people because selfishly, I just get to pepper you with questions and hear your story. I'm super interested in people. So I want to know before real estate, because you and I know each other from real estate, but before real estate, what were you up to? Like, who is Jeff before the badass cowboy who locks up deals? Yeah, so I went to school at Clemson University in South Carolina and pursued a career in civil engineering. And about 2008, the financial crisis was happening. So I got my foot in the door at the last second and moved out to Texas and got into the oil and gas world, which was very new for me. And I was recruited into a rotational training program. You go from office to office and go on to project sites. So that was what I jumped into. Great career path. I found myself in the Middle East for a few years because I knew that would be a big career booster. Saved a ton of money from that, got to travel Europe. It was, an, it was an amazing time. It was a very difficult time, but amazing. Came back to the US and uh, did, did a few things and got into the business development position of that same company, transferred to another. And so what was happening was I was negotiating multi-million, very large industrial contracting contracts for construction. We were building petrochemical facilities is what we were doing. And so I got very into the weeds on contracts. Anyway, I got to the point where I realized there is not a lot of vertical movement that I can do on my own. It really is at a point where my boss needs to have a 
a transfer or a promotion himself. That's the only way I'm going to advance. So I started looking into other opportunities where such a barrier wasn't there, found my way into real estate. And after a very significant uh, land deal that I sold to a developer, I decided to go uh, 100% into the business. So that's interesting. So around what year was it that you moved from the oil and gas into real estate? And also that's crazy that you were negotiating like these million dollar deals because before that, did you have any experience negotiating and like essentially doing anything like that? Or was that your first, was that your entry into the world of negotiation and sales? Right. So prior to business development, I had been like on the job site, like you know, measuring, welding, doing all the things, you know, in, in the Middle East, running crews, that kind of stuff. When I got into business development, now I'm starting to understand the legalese of major contracts and starting to think through how does this agreement play out? Like, mm -hmm. let's do some thought experiments. If this happens, does the contract contemplate this repercussion? What happens? How do we protect ourselves? How do we protect our client that it's fair and we need some commercial things monetarily on our side to make this all work. But yeah, prior to that, hadn't gotten into it, but got into these very large uh, contract negotiations and was trained up by the other guys there. And um, yeah, and then, you know, the, the last deal that I negotiated and helped get sold is this $13 million deal where we we're building some very significant uh, oil and gas projects. And, you know, I, I always take pride in that one. That is freaking cool. And that's going to be something that we come back to later. The fact that you just said the way you thought through, the way you sat down and you had to have the sort of foresight to look at essentially you're structuring deals because sometimes people think about negotiating, influencing, and they're thinking about like, how do I win, win, win? But what I'm hearing you say is like, you thought through how does this actually play out? What's going to be a win for everybody involved and what will make the most sense? And that comes from being a, a master at your craft, it comes from actually understanding your work, understanding your business. Well, it's that and having the experience of being the boots on the ground, you know, for, for three years in the Middle East, and I'm dealing with a contract that has been created for me and watching it play out and saying, oh, wow, like th this scenario just happened. Our agreement does not contemplate the scenario. Now, what do we do? Oh, the contract contemplates something that we didn't expect or somebody missed it. So, it's it is having some of that experience uh, there. Oh man, I love it. So now you finish up. You're in the job. It's good. You're gaining these crazy valuable skills, these business skills. However, at some point, you do recognize there's a cap. There's a ceiling on your opportunity, right? Like no matter how well you do, you can or like you just know that eventually, I do top out at the ceiling, and there's no room for any more growth. So at that point, what year was that when you decided that you were going to transfer into real estate? So in about 2016, I'd say is when I first got the bug in my ear that such an industry existed, right? Regular everyday people could own 200 unit multifamilies, right? Just the thought hadn't even occurred to me. I, I had dug into some other things. It wasn't really important, but 2016 did what a lot of people did, saw bigger pockets, listened to basically a year of podcasts, uh, research, just trying to understand the lingo. And that was took about 12 months before I actually bought my first uh, properties. 
and again, it was, it was like we talked about, like I was, I was doing well. I was making a six digit salary. Like this, this was a difficult thing to walk away from. And I said, I think there is more fuel in the tank. And I feel like at work a lot of time, I, I felt like I was just killing time. And that was not appealing for the long haul. And I'm going to highlight that for the person that's listening, because a lot of people can relate to that, Jeff, where they're at work and they're doing whatever it is in their career. And that's exactly what work has become, where although it's satisfying their current necessities and maybe it's helping them pay the bill, take care of the family, et cetera, they feel that now at this point, I am just occupying time. At five o'clock, I get to leave. At nine o'clock, I show back up again. And I just stare at the clock until it's time to go. And honestly, I think if a person's at that point, it's time to reconsider what you're doing or it's a, that's a necessary sign to begin looking for growth again. So again, I'm going to highlight something else. 12 months, 12 months from when you discover this world of real estate that the average individual is able to step into that doesn't have ceilings. For you taking in information, listening to podcasts, I'm assuming, were you reading any books as well at that time and getting into any courses or was how was the information that built you up to getting that first deal done? Was it purely through podcasts? Was it mentorship? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, I mean, most of it was the podcast because I was spending a nice time out on the road. And then there was a local mentorship based in Texas that I joined and their bread and butter was rental properties. And so they were actually agents who were involved in this organization. They would take you by the hand a little bit and help you analyze properties, make sure you weren't you know, buying a bucket of garbage. <laughs> so I love that. So essentially though, 12 months of like consistently taking in information, learning, understanding this industry, understanding what's a good deal, what's a bad deal. I'm sure you came across deals that probably you had to say no to until you found the one that you could say yes to that you were able to essentially close on and move forward with, correct? Oh, yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, I, I, I met all kinds of wholesalers and just trying to understand how that worked. We, we were looking at stuff on the market. It was all over the place. And, you know, th that's just my story because I still had this good job. I wasn't comfortable just walking away from it. You know, quote I've heard is it's hard to leave. It's easy to go from a very difficult life and pursue something that's great. It's harder to go from something that's pretty darn good and go to something that's great, right? I was making six digits. I wasn't starving by any means. I wasn't in this painful existence. I just felt like there was more to it. So, you know, so for somebody who's watching, who's in that position, like, look, don't, don't get freaked out by people on Instagram and stuff. They're like, oh yeah, I made like $30,000. It only took me 30 days. Like one, that's not normal. And two, it, it doesn't have to be your path either. You know, and I'm, I'm happy you're saying that. And like the reason I'm emphasizing this point so much, Jeff, is because one of the most common things that I get sent in my DMs that I get sent in my inbox is people with these expectancies of I've been doing this for two months and I still haven't gotten a deal. I, I've been hustling at real estate for four weeks and I still haven't gotten a deal. And I'm like, oh my gosh, guys. It took me eight months. You're hearing Jeff say it took him 12 months. And this is a man that's successful. Like you're good at what you do. And granted, you were in a place where you still had a W-2 and you were doing this on the side, which is where most people are coming from. So I just like to highlight this because to your point, Instagram, sometimes people want to market different things and they paint a picture that it's going to be this instantaneous thing. And I want people to see the real deal and hear from people that are actually doing this business that you've got to give yourself time, but it's worth it. So 
essentially you had the golden handcuffs, right? You had a good job that was supporting you, supporting the life. You wanted more and you went out and you pursued real estate. You got that first deal done. What did it look like? Did after that first deal got done, was it like, okay, you know what? I'm about to quit my job. Cause I mean, one deal is not replacing a six figure income. You know, I mean, it could, but like you bought a rental. So one rental is not replacing a six figure income. No, absolutely not. And I, I had to throw a lot of money at it actually, which was, you know, you always make mistakes in your, your first several deals. And my mistake was I threw too much money into this one. It just was what it was. Uh, the appraisal came back too low. Anyway, the point being, no, that certainly wasn't like, oh my God, I finally found the answer and the meaning of life. I'm going to do real estate now forever. That's not what happened. This was just the first gateway. It was a pair of fourplexes. So it was decent cash flow, learned a lot. There was a nice, there was a good property manager who was running it. So it was fine. Uh, certainly not enough to walk away from. And, you know, the method at the time was let's go acquire a bunch of rentals. Let's go knock down 10, 12 of these things. And then we can do the whole 1031 bit into multifamily. We'll, we'll ride that path. Very quickly, we realized, hey, you know, if we're acquiring properties, I'm bringing my mortgages even with all this money I, I made in the Middle East, I'm going to run out of down payment money later. We need to start looking into wholesaling and fix and flip and all the other things. So we, we did all kinds of different little transactions as we were figuring out what our niche market was going to be. And then eventually realized, at least in Houston, that single family and that just, it wasn't the path we ultimately wanted to take. And we instead veered off towards the land side where we were making more money and it just fit kind of my mindset. I could visualize it better than a single family house. So let's talk about that, man, because you are niched into a realm of real estate, which is land, which most people don't know about. They don't think about it. And it's not their fault because HGTV never does any TV shows about land. It's just no one ever thinks about, hey, I'm a real estate investor. Oh, cool. You do land? Like, no one thinks about that. We think single family. We think fix and flip, fix in with Molly. And we think of like big multifamily with like Grant Cardone. But no one thinks about land. And land is something that's actually extremely profitable, um, especially when done well. So you start moving and you start realizing, I can only spend so much money on these down payments. You're spending your own money. So you're not raising private capital yet at this point. You're just using your own funds, which nothing wrong with that. But at some point that resource runs out and you realize that you have to start doing some earned income strategies inside of real estate to make lump sums of cash. You start off wholesaling and immediately did you, what caused you to kind of notice land? Because that's not a common thing. Most people don't just commonly start thinking about land. Right. So the reason this sparked is we went to another seminar in Florida and the guy talking there said, hey, I want to talk about how to find buyers in an area that you're not familiar with. You can do it through the MLS. So that's cool. So he talks about how to do that. And then he brings up this one example. I will never forget this. And this completely sparked all of my obsession with land. He says, there's one of my students who is in New Jersey, he finds this piece of land. And I don't remember how big the acreage was. Let's call it 100 acres for the sake of argument. That's probably even too large. Has no idea what's going on, as is typical in a lot of these real estate stories. <laughs> Proceeds to contract it without knowing anything, which now that I think about this story again, kind of pisses me off. So he contracts it and he says, okay, what am I going to do with this? He gets on the MLS 
And what this guy taught us was when you find land in an area where there's construction underway, go to the new listings where you see like, if you're on matrix and you see like the pins and it says eight or four or whatever, that means somebody has built multiple houses in the same site, okay? It's probably a developer, a minimum a builder. This guy has contracted this land. He sees the same thing right near to this land he contracted. So he clicks the button, up pops the builder, the developer, calls him up, says, listen, I have this land contracted right near where you're at. Would you be interested in making me an offer? Long story short, Marlon, he basically makes a $1 million wholesale fee. Are you kidding me? I mean, the guy got, got the guy on the phone, said, yeah, we absolutely close this thing. So I remember this story. Six months later, there is a opportunity that comes about of our cold call campaign on probate. Guy has a property. It's on one acre of land. And he says, I'm getting inundated with wholesalers right now. Everybody wants to offer me nothing. And I could understand why there were no fix and flips happening in the area. None. So the ARV is, there's no comps here. Nobody wants to buy fix and flips here. And I remember this story that I was told. So I look on the MLS and I'll be darned, there's some of these four, five, six pins sitting down the street. I say, okay, there's three developers out here. Let's figure this thing out. So I call the first one. Nobody answers. Second guy calls, not interested. Third developer, absolutely, we'd love to build new construction in the area. Tell me what you got. And the way that I talk with buyers when I'm unsure of them is I say, look, um, I, I don't want to tell you the address and make you do all these due diligence. This family could wake up tomorrow and decide they don't want to sell. And I feel like that's not fair. What I will tell you, though, is within a par five of your other build that you just did. And if you'll give me a little guidance as to what the pricing needs to be, I'll go get this thing for you if I can negotiate them down. How does that sound? He says, cool. I will buy at $7 a square foot, seven times 43,560 square feet equals like $325,000, okay? The asking price of this guy is 180. And then come to find out, he's got some cousins who own an additional acre adjacent to him. So I call this guy back. I say, listen, if you'll give me one acre, I'll pay you 180 and change because I was still getting my sales strategy structured. If you go get your cousins on board, I'll pay you both 200 grand per acre. He said, I will get this done tonight. And basically, and it, so that was, that's the short and easy, like that's the cool part. Everybody's like, oh my God, is Jeff saying he just made 200 grand off of one assignment fee? Yes, but it took eight months of this hellish nightmare of airship and our title company screwed up. It was, it was a nightmare. Um, God bless my business partner, Regina White, for handling so much of that. But eventually it got done. We have this check for 200000 And basically with that, I was like, it's either now or never. Either I'm going to pursue this business now or it's never going to happen. And that, that was our first land deal. <laughs> Dude, I am like, that is tickling me on the inside. Like that is freaking awesome. That's hilarious. And it's crazy that you... Like, I love the sequence of events that this was something from one, having gotten into the right rooms, right? You put yourself in the way of opportunity. I always say this to people that if you just sit around and keep doing the same old thing you've been doing, you're not going to get anything new. So the fact that you were out in New Jersey, you're at a 
event, you're listening, you're taking in information, you got one golden nugget, one little nugget that at the time may have seen rather insignificant, just a cool anecdotal story that later on the opportunity arised and you were able to make use of the opportunity where everybody else, everyone else was looking at the same thing you were looking at. That gentleman said he got hit up by a lot of wholesalers. So a lot of different people came across this. You weren't the first one to touch it, but because you were in different rooms, you had different sets of knowledge, you were able to do something with this. So that jump started you into land. So since then, has it been, did you end up re-diverting? Because I imagine after, you know, even before the check cash is just the prospect of putting it under contract and realizing essentially that you have 200K in escrow would make you change ship and pivot. And did the focus, the primary focus become land after that point? Not immediately, because we still wanted to build up this consistent cash flow. It's it's nice to swing for the fences. And when you hit a grand slam, it's unbelievable. But you don't win a game always swinging for the fences. You need the singles and doubles. So we decided, listen, this is obviously not an opportunity we're going to ignore, but it's not going to be our priority. We still need to go get some, some of these 10, 15, 20 grand wholesales to keep cash coming through the door. So we kept doing that. Uh, what we were realizing, though, is as we were pursuing, it was just it was just very difficult um, in Houston with with cold calling and all the rest of it. Just it was tough. But you know, funny enough, a couple of these opportunities presented themselves. Again, produced like two, two, three, three other deals with six digit paydays on land going to a developer because I understood what the developer need and how they looked at it. So I was able to bring a huge amount of value and, and, and do these deals. So after about a year of continuing to chase single family, not enjoying it, but we were making money on the land, that's when we decided uh, about a year ago that we would double down and focus almost solely on land opportunities. I, I love that. I like the, I like what you, like, there's a theme here that Jeff, each time you find a new opportunity, there's a transition period, which I really appreciate, right? You found real estate and there was a transition from W2 into real estate. It wasn't just quick cold turkey, not give myself any sort of runway or lifeline and start doing it. It was like, no, I'm going to ease my way into this until I'm producing. And then I can begin to put more of myself into that seat. Then as you discovered land, right, you're still operating off of just the traditional residential properties, residential real estate, but you found land. And there was, again, another transition that as this thing started to bear more fruit, you started to make that decision to double down. So as you've doubled down and as you start to step more into land, what I like is earlier, you mentioned that when you were negotiating with this gentleman, that it was kind of like, ah, like uh, I'll give you whatever, you know. What started to cause you to realize that your negotiation skills in this realm needed to improve? Like, what did that look like as well? Because I remember early on in my journey, just talking to a lot of people. And at some point I realized I need to get better at sales and negotiating because I feel like I'm missing a lot of shots. I'm getting the ball often, but I feel like I'm missing a lot of shots and I should be able to sink more of these shots in. So when did that realization start to occur to you? It was during that deal because I was so fearful of losing it and not being able to close because I knew I had this potential huge fish on the line, 200 G, and I was terrified I was not going to be able to get this person to not only sign, but hang on with me as we got to closing. 
I didn't realize how bad the, the airship issues were going to be. But anyway, it was at that time I spoke with my business partner and said, look, I, I don't feel confident in my ability to close this thing, I, I, to get him to sign. I just don't. So we signed up for another, uh, a different sales course by Steve Trang, Real Estate Disruptors, learned a bunch from him, good stuff, nothing but good things to say about Steve, and um, took in a lot of that. Um, but even after that training, what, what I realized that I needed to get better at was asking better questions. I did not understand how to do this correctly. Um, most people in real estate investing, they start out with easy, what they think are easy questions like bed, bath count, and square footage and stuff. This is actually a terrible strategy. It destroys your credibility and rapport almost immediately. So uh, Regina gave me a book called Spin Selling, and I just ate that up because it finally explained to me, here's what the here's what good questions actually are. Here is some data on what works and what doesn't work. And I started deploying that and my sales conversations became 10 times better than they had before because I had some direction for a change. You know, and it's interesting to hear you say that like at some point you didn't feel comfortable getting on the phone and asking these questions because I hear you. I hear you when you're training other people. I hear you when you're doing role plays, when you have Zooms filled with hundreds of people and you're just teaching them and you are like the epitome of confidence when I see you and to hear that, that at some point that wasn't there and that essentially this is developable. Right? It's a developable skill that can be worked at and shifted over time. And I want people to know that because I think oftentimes people maybe see where we get to today, like someone sees me or someone sees you and they think, oh, well, these guys are naturally extroverted. They're naturally good at sales. They're naturally good at speaking. And that's just not the case. It's not true. It's lazy thinking. It was we understood there was an important skill that needed to be had. And so we went out and had it. So you went through the training and you started to implement it in yourself. You started to see and what started to like shift? Like, did you notice that there was a drastic shift inside of just the way your business went, even just from the day to day? Well, there, there was certainly a dramatic shift as far as the sales calls were concerned, because they they what I was really concentrating on was how do I advance this ball down the field? It's not enough to say, hey, nice to meet you. Tell me about your house. Okay, call you back. It's what is it going to take in order to make this deal close? Like simple things, right? You get on a call with someone. What do you need to close a deal? Okay, well, I, I need to know the address, obviously. I want to know an asking price. I want to know if there's any damage to the house. Okay, these are the basic things. How many other decision makers are involved here? When do they need to have this happen? How much cash do they need to get out of here? Is there anybody else who's going to be involved in this? Do you have an attorney? Are you comfortable with contracts? So when you start thinking about, here's all the steps that need to happen. Now, every time I get on a call, I ask myself, how many of these hurdles can I knock down mm. so I can get to the end? Now I don't have to guess about when I follow up with somebody Hey, I'm just calling to check in, just following up on where you are. No, I'm like, I'm on a mission. Hey, I'm calling you. We've been talking about this a bit. And, you know, I want to see if we can schedule a conference call with your husband and answer his questions. Because I know you said he was going to have some. When is he available? Just so things I, like that. I, I like that because from what I'm hearing, correct me if I'm wrong, it's you've established now through your sales process and through the system that you use, essentially, hey, here are the questions that need to be asked. And when these questions get answered, 
ultimately we arrive to the finish line, right? But if these questions don't get answered, what could happen is we're just kind of looping around in the same spot. Right. It's, it, it's about with, you know, there, there's a balance between systematizing things and making everything standard, but there, there's always some customization required. It, it just is. Okay. Cause people are different. And so it's saying strategically, what does this particular client need? And I now can strategically think through, these are the things that they need in order to feel comfortable working with me. They feel like it's fair. The questions are a lot of the way I phrase it and knowing when to ask those questions. I can't just throw out random questions that we hear from podcasts and because they'll implode. You know, one, one of the easiest examples, we do this all the time, a question that we ask seemingly randomly when we get started is, how much is this costing you? And if you don't know how to wield this sword, it slices your face off. Why? Because you have, how much is this house costing you? It's not costing me anything. What the hell are you talking about? And we go, I don't understand this question. I heard this other person ask it and just informate. It was unbelievable. I ask it, it doesn't work. And that's why me researching sales was so important because now I understand why that question works and why it doesn't. It doesn't work because it's known as an implication question. You're asking what is the consequence of a problem? But if I ask a consequence of a problem that I didn't identify, then it makes no sense. Consequence of a problem, what's the problem we're even talking about? That's why this type of question implodes. And that's why I try and coach people and teach them to understand the sequence of your questions matter. Hey guys, Marlon Johnson here. I hope you're enjoying the episode. We'll get back to it in just a moment. First, I wanna say thank you for your continued support. And I'm happy to share with you that we've relaunched MMC. MMC is the Millionaire Mindset Community. If you love these thought-provoking conversations, then you need to be a part of MMC and get in the room with other like-minded entrepreneurs. MMC is a private group where we connect daily to work on ourselves and our businesses. We have daily Zoom calls with other entrepreneurs who are setting goals, collaborating, and doing business together, plus a weekly coaching call from either myself, other coaches, or special guests. Also, being a part of MMC allows you early access to podcasts like this before they air, as well as behind-the-scenes conversation that my guests share. Because I want to make joining MMC a no-brainer, I'm offering listeners a seven-day trial for just $1 by going to mmc.mindsetmarlin.com. Go to mmc.mindsetmarlin.com, and when you register, you'll be able to do a seven-day trial for just $1. Dollar. And if you don't get value from being in the room with the right people, you can cancel your membership on the sixth day. So what do you have to lose? Go to mmc.mindsetmarlin.com right now and register. Don't wait any longer to change your life. I'll see you in the room. Now back to the episode. You know, and I got to say, I love that because the reason it's so powerful what you're saying, I've seen this a lot. I've seen people take lines out of context and they don't understand why they're using the line. They think because they heard their favorite mentor, their favorite guru use it. And that person got a contract that it's also going to work equally appropriate. However, they don't understand where it's appropriate. So I love what you just said. The fact that you actually with the seller, it's a process, right? It's a, it's a framework. It's a frame of thinking. And that's more important because sometimes people will scream, well, just give me your script. Well, the challenge is we don't really use scripts. 
We have frameworks though. We understand this is how the conversation, this is the overall flow of the conversation. And I, my job is to masterfully guide the conversation. And as the person on the phone, as the professional, the real estate professional, we're having these conversations more often than our sellers. So it's our job to get good at these conversations. The way I like to look at it is real estate, in essence, is our sport. So as it being our sport, it's our job to practice our skill set. It's our job to practice our shots. It's our job to perfect it and to be able to take care of this shot from any place and position on the court. And so you teach that now. So let's talk about that. How did you get into teaching? Because one thing I got to say, I really got to compliment your teaching, man. Like I've popped into some of your Zooms. I've been like a fly on the wall and I was amazed at your ability to communicate and not just your ability to communicate, but for your ability to be understood by other people, which I think is one of the most important things for a teacher or a coach. It's not just their ability to practice because you do practice what you preach and you implement it and you actually do the business. However, I know people that do the business who lack the ability to transfer knowledge to the average person to also get it done. So how did you start to discover that for yourself? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, it, it is another thing that is a skill to be learned. And, and some people listening to this will say, no way, Jeff, like you're, you're obviously talented at that. Marlon's obviously talented. And there's probably true that we, you and I have a leg up on easier conversation. But you know what else I wasn't a master of at first? Calculus. You know what else I wasn't a master of? Algebra. You know what else I wasn't a master of? Reading. And yet these are all skills that we had to learn at some point. So it doesn't make me the best reader on the planet, but I certainly have mastered it somewhat. So anyway, I just encourage anybody if you're hearing like, I, I remember being in sub two and listening to one guy. And I remember thinking, I'll never be as good as this person closing deals who's doing a role play. I'll never be this good. I'll be okay. I'll never be that good. And, and now I'm a coach. So anyway, the point is anybody listening, these are skills you can learn. It is possible. It will take a while. It will take effort. Okay. But getting to your question, how did I get to teaching? So I have always kind of enjoyed helping other people figure stuff out. Um, and even in school uh, in engineering and other places, I was usually taking a leadership role, like in our our lab sections, you know, driving the project forward. But the ability to teach actually came down to my time in the Middle East. And I'll tell you why. In the Middle East, it's not just us. It's not just Americans out there and the Arabs working. It's the Americans. It's the Arabs. It's the Chinese. It's the Koreans. It's the Pakistanis. It's the Indians. It's the Filipinos. And the list goes on for a little bit. And when you have all these cultures converge at once, and English is a second language for most, or it's a third, now, what do you have to do? I had to learn to communicate very clearly and enunciate very clearly because it is not their native language. The culture is not the same. So if I'm going to lead a team of Pakistanis, and they were usually grouped in that because the culture it made sense to have them work together. They understood each other better. If I'm going to lead a group of Pakistanis to put together this piping system, and then I'm going to get the Filipinos over here, and we're going to install the pumping system together, I need to be very clear with them on, here's how we're going to do this project. And to then gauge back from them, do they understand me? Or are they just telling me they understand me? So these were some skills I learned there, not because they were stupid, not because they were dumb, but because there is a 
barrier. And so, and I've, I've seen this from other people when they teach people, they will usually repeat a very important point. They will repeat a very important point in order to make sure that that message was communicated. So there's these little things that I've picked up and that's allowed me to learn to be a teacher and a coach. And I got to say, even listening to you communicate right now, it is clear that teaching and coaching is something that you practice. To your point, it is a skill in and of itself. And a lot of people don't understand this. And I've seen people go and they will get training from an individual who is a good, they're good at, that individual is good at executing. They're good at doing the thing. But again, they don't have that capability to pass on the knowledge to other people. And sometimes those individuals don't even realize it themselves that teaching is another skill. I sat down with a gentleman, I'm not going to say his name, but a few weeks ago, we sat down for dinner and he told me that he had tried to put out a course and he absolutely hated it. He said, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. I said, why not? He says, I was just getting so frustrated with my students because they weren't doing what I was telling them to do. And I know him well enough. And I asked, well, how many different ways did you learn how to communicate it to them? He's like, well, I was just telling them what I do. I was like, well, that's the issue. Not everybody listens and performs in the exact same way as you. And you've got to be able to slow yourself down to understand how are they perceiving information? How are they receiving information? What's their communication style? And then can you match their communication style to get the information over to them? And just listening to the way that you were speaking just now and understanding the different groups that you worked with, it's clear that that's skill, that it's a skill that's been developed inside of you. So that's cool. So you start coaching now, you're showing people how to essentially what is your coaching? Your coaching is you're teaching them how to sell. You're teaching them how to negotiate. Like, what would I say that if I were to get training from you, what do I end up learning? One of the very first lessons you learn is that selling something that's a not necessarily low cost, but low stakes selling is very different than high stakes selling. What I mean by that is if I go to the grocery store and I buy a pack of bubble gum, the stakes are low. It's just me. If I spend two bucks on it and I hate the bubble gum, who cares? If I go buy a case of Coca-Cola for whatever it is now, and a couple of the cans are busted, oh well. This is low stakes. The consequences of making a bad decision in this purchase are extremely low. Then there is high stakes selling. If I buy this car and I hate it on day two, the consequence of that is very high. If I buy this house and a week later, the AC goes up, right? The consequences of a bad decision are very high. So selling the two types is different. You can be a master at selling low stakes stuff because you can push somebody into buying a pack of bubble gum. You can push to somebody into buying a plate of sushi or whatever. I hate the sushi. Uh, okay, well, bummer. I guess I'll try the next entree next time. Selling somebody on a high stakes item is a very different skill set. So they don't transfer over. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two is that the way you sell something high stakes is not by forcibly closing them. The way you sell it is by asking very high quality questions. Salesmen need to think of themselves as being di more diagnostic mm. of the problems at hand than trying to force the sale of a product. Then and only then will the customer come to the realization that 
staying in my current circumstance is costing me too much money. It's too painful. And the benefit and the potential that I gain from making this big high stake shift is significant enough that I'm willing to risk it for lack of a better term. The motivation of, I call this the rubber band of motivation. The pain has to be high and the gain on the other side has to be high. If you can ask questions where they come to the realization that this is the scenario, you can close that deal. It's not about having Grant Cardone's closer Bible. There are some great lines in it, but if you throw five of those things at them, you can kiss that deal goodbye. <laughs> it is so true. And I, I love that that's where your emphasis, it's an emphasis on understanding the person on the other side of the deal, the person on the other side of the table, it's understanding them. And it's not by guesswork. It's not by assumption. It's by asking and asking quality, high quality questions, which again, I agree with you. I see people ask questions. However, the quality of question is going to determine the quality of answer and the quality of result. So I absolutely love that. And now you, again, I see inside of our community, you, you end up teaching and you help people that are working on developing these skills. I've seen you have Zooms where you're running, where there's literally hundreds of people. First thing in the morning, you're doing Zooms with them. But you've also pioneered something in your local community that you guys have been calling Power Hour. And in fact, it's become so popular, I'm seeing other Power Hours pop up in other places. Like I was in California two weeks ago, and they're now doing a Power Hour. So what is Power Hour for the people that are like, what the heck's Power Hour and how do I listen, like get to be a part of that? Right. Power Hour is an opportunity for anybody. You don't have to be in the sub two community that we're a part of. You don't have to be in any community for that matter. You don't know how to spell real estate if you don't know that. <laughs> the idea of Power Hour was what is an action taking event we can do? Not another networking event. We got 3 million of those things already. We don't need another one. I don't want to run that. I want to run an implementation event mostly because I'm selfish and I need to do my own calls. What is an event where I can regularly hold myself accountable and help other people too? So what we said was, look, come on Saturdays, every Saturday, not, not once every two months, every week, every Saturday from for two hours, 10 to 12 is when we do it. And we will provide the listing of the properties, the agents, the sellers, the phone numbers. And all we want you to do is bring your phone and call these people. And we will even give you some basic training on the script. I have basically recruited an army of cold callers and lead managers, like immediately. But frankly, I also wish somebody had given this to me to make sure I even liked the business because somebody comes into it and say, oh my God, I hate this. I hate cold calling. Hey, that's cool. It's not for everybody. Do you want to be, I would love to be in real estate. I just don't know. Okay, well, tell me about what you have. And we found out one of the people, she hates cold calling. She wants to be a lender. So isn't it better to come to an implementation event where there are action takers there, realize a little bit more of where you fit in and it didn't cost you a dime. If you want to be a part of a mentorship, cool. We'll tell you about our experience, but we're not doing membership drives, right? We're just getting people together to take action instead of talking about it. So we meet at basically a title company every Saturday. We rotate around different places and we were getting tons of people showing up. We have lots of opportunities. We're doing a lot of direct agent outreach, a lot of direct seller outreach and 
I have kind of this master plan to take over Houston, but basically this is where it's starting. And other people's, you know, leaders in their community said, I love this because I get to, I get to help people make their first deal, but certainly I see the opportunity where I can find people to help me in my own business. I can give back to the community around me without having to sell them a, a $15,000 course. Bro, I love this because that's what I needed. Like what you just said, how this is something that you wish you had when you were getting started. That's what I needed when I got started, right? Like I was one of those people that I got into a $25,000 course and they did not provide the sort of support. They did not provide this sort of help. And the fact that you just said it's an implementation event, like guys, girls, if you're listening right now, understand the difference between taking in information theoretically and applying that information because they, there's a saying that an ounce of implementation, an ounce of action is worth more than a ton of theory. So Jeff is actually helping guide people through taking those first steps, taking those action steps, and not just talking about, well, this is how you make a call, but actually making a call. This is talking to an agent because you're going to be able to learn so much more. So I love that you're doing that because again, it's been catching like wildfire in other markets. So you're doing this in the Houston market. So if people are in the Houston market, they could come and check this out. Like they don't need to be a part of a, a group. They can just show up to the title company and they could just hang out with you guys on Saturday. I, I literally encourage as many people as I can, like just show up. I don't know how many times I have to say it, but it's, it's open to everybody. You join our Facebook group because we rotate around. Don't join anything. Don't spend a dime on some stupid dialer. None of that. Just hang out with us first and actually talk with people who are in the business because we'll give you the real scoop on it. And isn't it, you know, we were hanging out and I forget who it was. I think it was Brad. He said that he yep. had come to the event the first time. And I want to like make this okay for everybody. He came to the event the first time and I believe he said, that first day, he was a total fly on the wall. Like he didn't I remember. He didn't say a word. He didn't make a Nothing. call. He just kind of shyly stood in the corner. And most people kind of give up after that. But Brad came back because you do these events every week because it's not a one and done. He was able. He had the opportunity to come back. And now I believe you and Brad, like Brad, works with y'all now, right? So here's the other thing. This is what was really remarkable. I will argue that we did not have a true community in Houston for sub two until power hours took effect. We had, we had meetups and they were really good and we had a lot of people, but the community aspect didn't take hold until we did this. Because now I have some great leaders with me. Obviously, Regina is my business partner. She's always around. Andrea Arriaga, Francesca Basu, um, Jen Jennifer and Jeremy Montoya. There's like six of us now who are leading power hours. And th that was not available until this event started and we were consistent about it. And then people like Brad, uh, Brad Lewis comes along, Juan Cepeda and, and a handful of others. And, you know, apologies to anybody I left out. But they keep showing up because the community is here. And I didn't, we, I didn't realize until probably two months deep into this, just how much of a demand and hunger for something like this there was. Cause we got to the point where we're like, Hey, we're at a, we're at a baker's dozen. This is great. And the next thing we know, there's 30 people and we're spilling out of the barbecue place. We're like, Oh my God, we're, we got to go somewhere else. And we're really onto something by the way. Dude, I, I love it because 
What's interesting, the fact that you said like this, although there was meetups, people were getting together, they were talking, they were networking. Community wasn't born until actions started being taken. Experiences started being had together. And I want to emphasize that point because that's what causes bonding to happen a lot faster. When people have experiences, you want to connect with people. Well, what's better than working on a deal with them, going through the trenches with them, being uncomfortable, making those calls, having those courageous moments of getting on the phone and asking those tough questions and being able to do it while there's someone like Jeff, there's other leaders in the room who can overhear your conversation and then be able to give you live feedback, real-time feedback. I'm sure you guys, and I really don't actually know this, but I'm imagining, I can't imagine this hasn't happened at some point that someone's panicking on the phone and you've been able to tag in, right? Like tag team in. I mean, that's the, that is actually one of the major selling points, if you will, is that you got Andrew and Jeremy running around in both rooms. And when one person's on a phone, because so what happens, so here's what happens. Everybody comes into Power Hour and meets up. We basically say, look, if you want to call agents, go with Andrew. If you want to call directly to sellers, because it's a different animal, you go with Jeremy. If you barely know how to operate your phone, let alone have a conversation, you come with Jeff and I give them basic training. And I say, here's your script. Here's what you do. And if you get stuck, your option A is not to hang up the phone. Okay. <laughs> here's what you do. You say, you know what? Um, these are great questions. And honestly, I'm a little new on the job, but my boss, Andrew, my boss, Jeremy, my boss, Jeff, whatever you want to call us, we don't care. My, my boss, Sam, I don't, I don't care. He's running around here. Why don't I put you on the phone with him? He just explains it better than I do. Would you talk to him? And now they have a way out and they, they don't have to be like, oh my God, what do we do? And they just say, hey, Jeff, do you handle this call? I got an agent who's talking creative. I got a seller who's interested in the cash off. I got somebody that I'm talking to and I can't get any further. So like I said, I give this basic training. Here's our script. It, there were actually a couple of times, I wish I had recorded this, but people are like, hey, Jeff, do this call. It's like, all right, give me a call. Get on the phone with the agent. And, and like, I go through this whole thing. We're basically talking creative sub two and like all their jaws have just dropped. <laughs> so I'm like, guys, you know, like, like Marlon, like you were just saying, Marlon, like no more studying. You've, you've studied plenty. You don't need another YouTube video. You don't need another podcast. It's now time to take the action. And these guys were getting on the phone and guy, again, like the guy, like his jaw dropped when he heard me on the phone because he was like, I, I can't believe this just went well. He's now back every single week. And he's like, when can I be one of your lead managers? Cause I, I have to keep participating. I freaking love this. Like, I know, I already know people are listening right now and they're like, holy crap, I need to move to Houston. <laughs> so one, if the people are in Houston, they can, and guys, what I'm going to do, actually, I'm just going to make it super easy. Like go down to the show notes. There's going to be links inside there. So you'll be able to go and connect with power hour, but for the people who aren't in Houston and they're like, I want to get plugged in with Jeff because what you're doing is phenomenal, right? Like, and they want to learn how to ask questions the way you're asking questions. They want to be able to gain that confidence that, like you said, it's an earned skill. Are like you coach, how can they get a part of your coaching? Like what can people do to be a part of your coaching? Yeah. So if, if you're in sub two, I'm, I'm on daily dial. So you can come into to that. Um, that's included in that. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I usually post a few different sales tips. If you really want the meat and potatoes, though, if you're just like, I, I don't want like little bits and pieces. I want the full entree. I need to get the full package of this. I do have a self-directed 
um, video course. Um, I, try, I try to make it really affordable. It's 10 video modules and they're like 30, 45 minutes a pop where we talk about what is a high quality question. Here's why your questions suck. Here's what you should ask differently. Here is why this question works and why it doesn't. Here's why this question, when you ask it in the right moment, is magical. Here's why it implodes. Because if you understand, it, it's like, imagine going into, you know, surgery, you know, surgery, you're, you're a surgeon, like, here's your plate of tools. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to teach you when and where to use them. You'd say this is insanity. And yet we, and yet in real estate investing, it's like the same thing. Here's this list of questions. Here's your script, but we're not going to tell you how to wield this sword we just gave you. So that's, that's what my course does. And we also talk about how do you truly negotiate and not just throw out everything on the table? Like, like Marlon, would you believe me if I told you, you didn't have to pay closing costs on every transaction you ever did? Like, like to some people, like, what do you mean? I just thought that was the offer. It's like, no, that's not the offer. They hired the agent, not me. That's not my starting position. This is how you negotiate. So that kind of content, if you're interested in that, I'm sure Marlon will have a, a link for you also. And you all should be interested in that because as you said that, first off, your analogies and your storytelling is so freaking good. Like I, I just love sitting down and listening to you. And as you're saying that, I like just reflected on my own getting into this business. And you're absolutely right. I was handed, you know, the four pillars, which is great. You know, that became popularized. It became a way of helping people. But you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, my first early conversations, those first couple of months were terrible because I was just throwing these pillars, right? These four pillars. I was really just hucking it at people on the phone and like just confused at why it wasn't converting. And I realized I didn't understand how to properly get the information. I didn't understand how to properly, when and where to ask the questions and how to even set up the framework, how to even set up the, the room, set up the conversation for the question to be received. So that's huge. So I want everyone to listen to that and like go check that out. If you are not doing sales training, you need to be doing sales training because my business started to change drastically. And this is actually interesting. I'm reflecting I've done a lot of sales training, hours and hours and hours, because again, this is your craft. If you're going to be in business, this is your craft. If you're going to be in real estate investor as a wholesaler, as someone that's going direct to seller, negotiating your deals, this is a skill that you need to have. And what's interesting is this is a skill that is transferable. This is a life skill. Sales is a life skill that is transferable into every aspect of your life. Your communication with your friends, partners, business partners will all increase with learning how to sell. So I'm a big proponent of this because no one ever emphasized this for me. So I emphasize it now because had someone emphasized this for me, I think it would have helped a lot in the beginning of my career of earning money on being able to produce the sort of life I want. So guys, go check that out. So Jeff, I want to be respectful of your time. And I do like to, there's a handful of questions I like to ask at the end of every episode. And the first one is really simple. I selfishly build out my books, like from this, like my library comes from this, which is books have been absolutely paradigms for me. Like they've been paradigm shifts. I've read books that have opened my eyes to new ways of living, to even understanding things that I could do. What have been books that you've read? Give me one, but no more than two books that you've read that have absolutely changed 
your life that you've never quite gone back to being the same since reading it. And I'm going to mention that you can't use Rich Dad, Poor Dad because we have heard that one a million times. And it's such a good book. But besides Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and besides Think and Grow Rich, what are two books that have been total paradigm shifts for you? The major one that allows me to be as good in sales as I am is Spin Selling. Spin Selling by Neil Rackham. It's basically a research paper. It's not the easiest book to read, but I'm an engineer brain. It works for me. That explains how good questions work. Okay. The next book that is really fantastic, is The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. It, it is the epitome of get better by 1% every day, multiply that by 365 days, and holy mackerel, you have made a ton of progress. The essence of not start and stop, but to do little things to build up to the ultimate goal that you're chasing. I love that. Spin selling is going to be a new one that I add. And the compound effect is a book that I just finished recommending earlier this week to somebody that I'm working with. Second question is people hear about the $200,000 deal. They hear about the land. They see the success. They see what you're doing now. And they're like, well, yeah, it's easy for Jeff. You know, things are just, yeah, of course he could do that now. Can you take me back to a time where you faced a challenge, whether it was in real estate, whether it was in life, where you were at a low point? And during that low point, what was going through your mind and how did you get yourself through it to the place of being able to rise back up? Ooh, um, that one's going to take a minute. Well, you know, here's the thing. I mean, I'm doing a lot of neat stuff right now. I will not say that I am at my ultimate goal. I, you know, Jeff is at his peak. He's just slamming, you know, six digit checks every other weekend. You know, he's, you know, in a, like, I am not there. I am still in my pursuit of my ultimate goal. I have had to reposition so many times along my journey in order to find a niche that I actually liked and was good at. And I was very fortunate because I had a lot of savings from the Middle East. I am lucky that I had the opportunity to do it where a lot of other people haven't. So, you know, I, I don't want to say that I have like ultimately arrived. You know, the only way that I can find to achieve that healthy mindset is to go out there and prove it. But I also have a lot of friends and power. Like I learn from people constantly. Like I'm, I'm you know, I learned from Jason Lombardi a little bit about how to handle some other aggressive types that I don't normally do. There's always refinement. But one thing I learned from Andrew is he just had a better mindset of, I don't know something. I'm not going to quit on it. Who is the person I need to know? And I'm going to go like, just get every bit of information I can out of this person and just kind of not take no for an answer. They don't have the answer. I'm going to go somewhere else. So that is, I don't know if that exactly is going to fit this podcast. You're probably going to have to trim that out. <laughs> um, hang on pause like no there, there's there is another scenario what the hell was it um hang on one second okay so here, here's a different story so when i was still in the oil and gas world and i was pushing through a lot of these proposals and it it felt like we were just losing every single one of them we were overpriced our terms weren't good and this was a big team effort. I wasn't exactly spearheading this, but at the time it just, it felt personal. So I'm like, like, I, I can't, I can't get this done. What the heck is going on? And then finally we are in negotiations with this very major liquid natural gas provider it has this major facility in Louisiana. It was like a $300 million deal we were negotiating. And we only got to that point 
thanks to a combined team effort of the project manager, the estimating team, the lawyer, like we were running this, we were project managing the proposal sales process as it were, but we had this team behind us. And I think it was that kind of mindset shift of I'm not alone. It's, I don't have to have this full weight on my shoulder. I don't have to figure out why or how we're going to go from a $330 million bid to a 300 million. I'm not by myself. And then we go off to DC because we're actually negotiating the terms and conditions of the contract. And this is major paper. We got the attorney sitting, they got their attorney. It is this big show going on. And we're, we're up till like midnight. I don't know how many days we're doing this, getting the deal done. And again, I just remember thinking to myself, how the hell am I going to pull together this contract? And again, being brought aware of, oh, wait, I'm not an island. You don't play any, you don't play most sports <laughs> with one person on the field or on the court. There are other people around you who bring their own strengths and weaknesses. And that's not something that I don't know if I have a hundred percent absorbed that, but I have to remind myself of that frequently and reset my own brain sometimes that I'm still trying to get to where I want to go. I still have work to do. There's plenty of things that I don't know in real estate and haven't encountered yet, but I don't have to be alone as I chase those things. I love that, man, because a lot of times that's actually pretty common. We often forget that we can work with other people, that we don't need to necessarily embody all of the things that need to be had in order to get work done. But instead we can be good at what we do, like get good in our lane and we can go and find people that complement our skill. You know what else is mind blowing? Did you know that if you're talking with the selling agent of that, whatever property that you're chasing, they can help you get the deal done too. <laughs> Dude, I, I, that's something like I find myself like telling people it's like, for some reason, People, real estate investors, newer ones in particular, they get it in their mind that agents are the enemy. And I always looked at it. I was lucky. I was very fortunate that my first mentor before sub two, uh, my very first mentor, shout out Pip Stelic, he taught me that agents are actually your power team members. He was the first person to tell me that. He said, when you look at real estate agents, he said, you should be smiling when you see those people because those are the best people to have on your team because What's better about them is they work for you and you don't even pay them, right? Because who pays them? The seller of the property typically pays them. Where else are you going to get employees that someone else pays for? I mean, when people like have this like hate relationship towards real estate agents, I'm like, I don't think you understand what we do. Like, I don't think you understand the industry you're in. I think a lot of it also is the identity crisis. I'm going to put this under contract and assign it. I'm not the real buyer, but I'm going to tell you that I'm the buyer. Mm. And newbie in real estate, they are uncomfortable with what their identity is in the process. I remember this happening in particular on, it was a, it was a 10 acre deal that I sold, made six digits out of it. I am at the city office, sitting in front of the city manager who is asking me, you're not the developer. You're not the owner. Who are you? in this deal. Why are you here? And he didn't say it quite that way, but that is the horror that a, re a wholesaler typically feels. And here's what I said. I said, well, I'm glad you asked. I have multiple developer clients who ask me to go find them land and bring them good opportunities. I've been talking with this seller, did the research, found out it was a good site. And I brought my friendly developer in 
who's going to buy the deal and they pay me a fee for my trouble. That same message can be communicated to anybody. Just say, look, I have multiple clients who acquire rentals. They pay me a fee for my trouble. Are you assigning it? Like, yeah, I'm going to assign it, but I can't get them to pay attention. They don't go look through the listings. They don't go look through properties. If you want their money, I can get us connected here. So anyway, that's, that's the story with that. But you know what? Again, like, I love that framing because you're telling the truth. And I think a lot of people, they struggle when they feel like they have to lie, but they yes. just haven't learned how to tell the truth. Like as silly as that sounds, the, telling the truth, there's a right way to tell the truth. Or let me not even say a right way. There's a way of telling the truth that produced the res a positive result that you're looking for. And there's the way of telling the truth that doesn't produce the positive result you're looking for. So I love that you're able to teach them how to properly frame their own mental, their own identity before even starting the conversation, like how to position themselves in the conversation. Yeah. You know, and, and like we talked about the agents, your ally, like I, I talked with two agents today and I said, listen, this is why I'm interested in this property. And this is exactly what I'm going to try and do with it. Can you help me figure out the math? This is the listing agent. Can you help me figure out the math of if I do this thing, what could I resell it for? Let's you and I team up and help your client monetize this thing. And the agent's like, dude, I'm all about it. What do you need? Let's go do this thing. Like you just have to say, here's the message. Mr. Agent, Mr. Seller, what is it going to take for us to do a deal? Here's what I need. What do you need? What is it going to take for us to make this thing happen? It's powerful. So my final question here is, one of my favorite questions, actually, I want you to imagine, Jeff, that tomorrow you wake up and as you're waking up, as you're coming to consciousness and you're opening your eyes, you're a blank slate. You don't remember anything. You don't remember the sales books. You don't remember spin selling. You don't remember the compound effect. You don't remember your time overseas, your job. I mean, it is all gone. You're not freaking out. It's not a horror movie. It's not a Saw film. So you're not worried about your life, but it's just totally blank in there. And as you start to come to, a thought begins to come to your mind. And this thought, when it arrives, you don't question it. You totally accept it as 100% fact, as 100% truth, and no one can ever persuade you otherwise of this thought. This is going to be the foundation of everything else that is to come in your life. What would you prefer for this first thought to be? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um... I'm, I'm reminded of that one movie, Samuel L. Jackson. He's the basketball coach. Do you remember that one? Oh, I know it's what you're talking about when he's like coaching like the young kids, like in the inner city. Yeah. And they're, they're obviously really rowdy and he brings them about and they just go crush it. Coach There's Carter. One, coach Carter. I'm reminded of the movie Coach Carter. And one of the players who's kind of come back to the fold, he basically says something along the line of we we, we don't fear like how powerful we are. We, we fear we're powerful beyond measure, but we don't live up to it. It was something along those lines. And that's been something that's been occurring to me recently um, that I, I don't want to leave anything on the table as far as my life is concerned. So, you know, if I had a blank slate, kind of everything there, you know, th the thought would be you are powerful beyond measure. You know, th there is nothing that you cannot learn if you truly want to, no matter like 
it, it, there's no, there's not something that is an impossible task in front of you. There's a difference between something that's impossible to do and something that just takes a ton of effort. A ton of effort is fine. There's nothing truly impossible. You are powerful beyond measure that you can accomplish this if you truly strive to. That would be the thought I would want to keep. <laughs> I love that. That's it's so funny. When I listen to people's answers, I like catch myself being surprised at how inspired I get each time. And yours definitely boiled something up inside of me because I agree with that wholeheartedly. So I want to know for the people that have been listening and they're like, yo, you know what? I like this Jeff guy. I like the way he communicates. I like his style. I love power hour and I want to get connected with him. What's the best way for people to get connected with you? Like where should they go if they want to get plugged in with you more? Yeah, the best thing to do is um, look me up on Instagram. We'll we'll provide a link here. It's Jeff, J-E-F-F dot R dot W dot Smith. I have two middle names. Both of my grandfathers are badasses, so it feels honorable to be have names after both of them. Uh, reach out to me on Instagram. Take a look at what's going on there. Um, and then really, if, if you're going to reach out about either sales training or power hour, um, Here's, here, here's kind of a generic suggestion. I even, I'm always trying to coach people. Here's a generic suggestion if you're trying to reach out to anybody. Hey, Marlon. Hey, Jeff. I saw you on this podcast. Listen to what you had to say. It was really interesting. I wanted to reach out to you about X. I understand that X means this. Would love to talk with you more or is there something else I need to do? This will stand out in the crowd because most people, Marlon probably gets these DMs too. Hey, Marlon, um, I'm new to real estate. Can you teach me stuff? And it's just, we, we, there's, I mean, I'm sure Grant, Car I can't imagine what Grant Cardone, Pace, and all these guys get. But even Pace tells the story of like when he met Cody Barton, Cody sent out this message of, I am put, I want to put in the effort. I've already done some work. I've already done some research. Now can we connect? And that is a very different message than, hey, Marlon, can you teach me stuff? It's absolutely spot on, Jeff. Like, I'm so happy. Like, I'm actually going to personally take that chopped up and post it on social media because I find myself regularly getting frustrated with the sort of messages that are just, in all honesty, they're lazy and it causes me or you or whomever as the person who wants to be able to help to do so much extra work just to figure out what it is that you as the person reaching out needs from us. So make it crystal clear, communicate, introduce yourself by saying your name, especially if you DM us on Instagram and your Instagram handle is butterflykittens23. I don't know what to call you. I don't really feel comfortable typing in, hey, butterfly kitten. It would be nice if you say, hey, this is Mike, right? And preferably first and last name because it just helps us to be able to like find you on Facebook later on as well and save your contacts and do exactly what Jeff said, like, let us know what you're reaching out for. Explain what you've done so far, so far that you've taken action so that we see, okay, great. This is a person. There's nothing worse than pouring into a person only to find out that the bottom of their cup has a massive hole in it. So when you show us that you already have stuff poured into you and that you retain and you take action. Awesome. I don't think myself, Jeff would ever have an issue pouring into you. In fact, those are the people we love pouring into. We'll pour more into you if you demonstrate that that's who you are and you do that through action. And the first action is how are you going to properly reach out and communicate? So guys, make sure you plug in with Jeff. 
And do me a favor. If you got value from this episode, be sure to hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, turn on the notifications so that you can be here for the next episode. And I want you to do this. Your key takeaway, what you learned in this episode, if you learned about asking questions in a better way, if you learned that opportunities can come from putting yourself in different rooms, or if you go to Jeff's next meetup in Houston, I want you to screenshot whatever you learned or screenshot yourself listening to this podcast, go on Instagram and tag Jeff, tag me. And I want to see how many people we can keep this conversation flowing with. And if this is going to be helpful to other people, send them this episode. So Jeff, I got to say, thank you so much for making time to be here today. I know how busy your schedule is. So I really appreciate you making time to be on the book, to share your information, to share your knowledge and to share your framework with everybody. I'm going to make sure that I have all of your connections, all of your networks, all of your links in the show notes so that people can get connected with you. But Jeff, just again, I got to say, thank you, brother. Thank you, Marlon. It was great being here with you.